Section 2 of The Creed of a Credulous Person. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Creed of a Credulous Person by G. K. Chesterton. Pumpkins and Possibilities. The moral problem of the teaching of fairy tales is, as I have said, generally propounded to us by gloomy and excited realists in this form how can you teach your children what is untrue but this from my point of view makes one most extravagant and startling assumption it assumes that i know the fairy tales to be untrue as a matter of fact i have no means whatever for forming an opinion about the matter i am in the question of a good agnostic and a good agnostic is a man who does not know why cinderella's pumpkin should not have been turned into a state coach I deny altogether that there is, or can be, any philosophical reason for supposing that the supernatural does not happen. I am not conscious of any experiences, whatever, between the hour of my birth and the present moment, which give me the smallest reason to suppose that miracles do not happen, and that fairy godmothers transform pumpkins. I have seen a great many pumpkins that did not become coaches, and I have seen a great many coaches which had not, at any time while I was looking at them, been pumpkins. And there, as far as I can carefully estimate the matter, my knowledge on the question comes to an end. How any amount of experiences of pumpkins that remain pumpkins, and coaches that remain coaches, can throw any light on the difficulty, I have never been able to understand. When the scientific people say that the uniformity of nature shows that a miracle is impossible— I am afraid that my thoughts are not quite as serious as they ought to be. I am afraid the remark reminds me, more than anything else, of the Irishman who was prepared to confront the witnesses who had seen him commit murder, with no less than forty reliable witnesses who had not seen him commit the crime. Only this morning, while I was in bed, a curious event occurred. I did not see it myself but i have heard it on authority which disposes of the notion of mere journalistic sensationalism or servant's tattle while the whole of the sky was still comparatively dark a curious pallid or phosphorescent effect was noticeable near the horizon which after turning into the most various and alarming colours like some display of fireworks spat out a sort of globe or disk of fire the conflagration of which was so furious that it lit up the whole earth and sky with a ghastly splendor for the space of several hours. I have been unable to discover any explanation of the phenomenon. I have, it is true, met a certain number of people who seem to think that they have an explanation, but their attempts to exhibit it only showed that they had no notion of what an explanation means. For all they could tell me about the prodigy, as far as I can make it out, was that it happened before— and that it happened a great many times before, that by a curious coincidence it had happened the very day before, and the very day before that. They also seemed to think it very important that they had invented an odd monosyllabic sound for it. They said it was the sun, or only the sun, and repeated sun again and again, waving their arms with a kind of excited rationality. The fact that it happened every morning they called the order of nature. I said to them, My dear people, I don't know what you mean. 
I didn't ask you how often it had happened, or what noise you made when you pointed at it. I asked you why it happened. If it has happened a million times, it is a million times more extraordinary than if it had happened only once. Come, I put it to you. If I were to walk past your house in a dressing gown and a horse guard's helmet, and you ask why, would you be satisfied with the answer that my name was Brown and that I had done it ever since I was three years old? You would want to know why I did it. I want to know why the sun rises. One of them cleared his throat in a benevolent way. Oh, I can tell you that, he said. The sun does not really rise. It is this earth on which we stand, which, by the law of its nature, turns at that moment towards the sun. At his remarks there was a low hum of applause, as if we were in church. I looked at him with a sort of idiot vacancy. "'God in heaven!' I cried. "'And if I walked past your house in a dressing gown and a helmet, would you go to sleep again, quite contented, because somebody told you that it was your house that walked past me?' Consequently, my position is very simple, though somewhat blank. Since I know of no reason why ordinary things should happen, I cannot know of any reason why extraordinary things should not happen. If the sun suddenly did not rise tomorrow morning, a great many people would, I firmly believe, be thrown into considerable agitation. To me, the conduct of the sun in not rising would be much more quiet and respectable than his habit of careering through the sky like a rocket. And I, who have not even the outline of a notion of why pumpkins grow from yellow flowers, cannot pretend to have an outline of a notion of why coaches should not grow from pumpkins. The incident may be rare, like triplets, or startling, like a flash of lightning, or hitherto unclassified, like the first manifestation of argon, but that it is impossible seems to me a dogma only imaginable in the mouth of an insane pope. I know I live in an age in which I can look into a box and see a live man's backbone. I know I can shoot information at a man across leagues of space without sight, smell, or hearing. And when a child asks me, did Cinderella's godmother really change the pumpkin into a coach? I should incline, after grave consideration, to reply as follows. The thing is by no means improbable, but, of course, one must allow for errors in these journalistic sensations. Huxley made it an argument against miracles or wonders that every man really based his life upon the assumption that the order of nature was constant and continuous. But surely there is here a confusion. Every man bases his life on the assumptions that a miracle is not probable, and would be a fool if he did not. But what every man bases his life on is not the assumption that miracles do not happen, but simply the assumption that improbable things do not happen. That assumption, of course, is quite incorrect, for they often do. Still, it is the only working hypothesis. It is perfectly scientific and possible, it is quite within the laws of nature, that if I drink a glass of milk in a milk shop, it should be deliberately poisoned. But I no more think of assuming in practical life that a woman I have never seen will poison me than I think of assuming that she will turn into a griffin. For practical purposes, it is quite enough that a thing is enormously unlikely, and if a miracle were not enormously unlikely, it would not be a miracle at all. Certainly, the ordinary householder 
does not buy a pumpkin under the impression that it will afford an excellent private carriage to take his wife out to pay calls but neither for the matter of that does he buy a pumpkin with the idea that it will be full of gunpowder and blow him and his wife sky-high yet it would doubtless be a great comfort to them in their last moments to know that the latter process is quite consistent with the ascertained laws of chemistry feeling therefore that the current notion of the improbability of fables prodigies and fairy tales is quite unreasonable i have re-examined them with some care in the last short period and i have come to the following conclusions i will deal with them separately in two or three ensuing articles but i will summarize them approximately now i think it is probable that there are fairies i am quite certain that santa claus really gives children presents it is of course perfectly obvious that animals talk as an aesop i think it almost but not quite certain that dolls have a personality i feel it to be the least unlikely of the two alternatives that all things called inanimate are really animate as in hans anderson and for these views i propose to give a seriatim and with a great sense of responsibility my solid and scientific reasons End of section two. Recorded by Olivia.